We are looking at the gospel of John and different sayings of Jesus from that gospel, as you know. And so tonight we begin, I mean, don't begin, we continue looking at I am statements. I am the way and the truth and the life from John 14. David Duncan has been here before. He's a preacher at the Memorial Church of Christ in Houston. Uh, He's been there since 2006. He has degrees from Oklahoma Christian as well as Houston Graduate School of Theology. He married Barbara. Uh, in Mito, Japan. She had just finished her assignment teaching English. And uh, same place as Ken Heiston worked for many years. They then went to the mission field in Vitoria, Brazil. Is that right? Yeah. And returned, uh, and he worked in Oklahoma City area before he ended up in Houston. He has two grown daughters. Um, and he'll tell you just a little bit about some of the hurricane relief that Houston has been through. But David, come talk to us. an honor to share with you tonight. I've been here before. Some of you remember that and some of you hoped I wouldn't come back, but here I am. And uh, it is so great to be here tonight. You know, as I talk to people sometimes about uh, MacArthur Park and about Memorial, I hear so many people tell me literally that our two congregations are probably in many ways more alike than maybe any two congregations anywhere. We know that we are a brotherhood, but we're really brothers and sisters in Christ in the similarities we have, and so it's an honor to be here tonight with you again and get to share God's Word with you. As uh, Doug said, it, uh, as it said that I would talk a little bit about the hurricane relief, and I will for a moment because people ask that question and wonder because, as you know, we had a pretty bad flood back, uh, back almost a year ago now, which is hard for us to believe. And for the first six months, that is all we did as a congregation is flood relief. I mean, it was every day, it was all night, it was no... Uh, It was no days off. It's just all that happened. And you obviously can understand why if you have family or friends there or you just saw it on television. And uh, in our congregation, which on Sunday mornings we have about 900 or so in in, in attendance, we had uh, 43 families that had water in their houses and we had six that that water was devastating. I mean, lost all or almost all of everything they had. And... um, the congregation came together in a way that I don't believe we ever have. I'm, the organization was overwhelming. There was a plan, obviously, to help people physically, but also to help them spiritually and emotionally. And so there was kind of a three-legged stool, as you might say, of how we went into the community to help folks. And uh, we had a, a great opportunity to help folks. We had some people restored to Jesus, which was wonderful. One of our own families uh, that was helped said, You know, we barely went to church before this, but how could we not be there now when you have shown the love of Christ to us the way way you have? People from all over the country sent money to the Memorial Church of Christ. There was just over a million dollars that came in to help people, which we didn't ask for any of that. It just came in. And those that were the most touching were the checks we received from uh, Mexico and India and Haiti that came to help folks here just reminded us again of how unworthy we felt, but how big we are, how big the body of Christ is. And so we were so appreciative for all of that. And uh, things are much better now. They are not done, but they are much better. Families are much better. The, the um, thing that is so popular these days, or not popular, but is so well known today, 
especially among those in the military, is PTSD, and certainly that is something extremely real. There is a type of PTSD with people who go through a traumatic event like a flood as well. We had about four inches of rain on the 4th of July, and one family we helped a lot that had five feet of of, uh, water in their house told me with that four inches of rain that they packed everything they had in their house on the 4th of July because they thought it was happening again. So there is still a lot of prayer that's needed there. There are a lot of people who are still struggling and will struggle for a long time. So please, please keep those folks in Houston in your prayers. They, we need it. <clears throat> Tonight, my topic is, you've already heard that. I've never had it. Oh, that's, that's too far. Where did I go? I don't know. That first slide's not there. So we'll just call that one it. My topic tonight is I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And if I were to get up and talk about being the way and the truth and the life, if I were to say this on television, you know folks would talk about it. People would tweet about me. You know they would. They would say all kinds of negative things. People would find my address and send hate mail to my house because what I just have done is not say it myself, but I have quoted Jesus who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. I like living, but I am willing to die for this phrase because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. That does not give us a reason to hate anybody, but it only gives us all the more reason to love everybody because he is the way and the truth and the life. And to take us all the way back to the Old Testament, ancient religions taught that the gods were against them. And so in the time period, and some of you have probably studied this before, but in the time period that the, that the Bible was being written down, the book of Genesis was being written down, the influencers onto Israel were the Babylonians. They were kind of like the Hollywood of their day. And so what happens in Hollywood and what happens in Washington, you know, impacts everybody in the world. And what was happening over in Babylon and what Babylon said was even impacting the Israelites who would sometimes forget their own history and start believing some other history. And so the Babylonians had come up with this idea of where God came or where the world came from. And what they thought it was, written down in this, in this uh, writing called the Enuma Elish, what they said that the creation of the world was, or how it happened, was the gods all got together, and they hated people, and they made people just to bother them. And so the way the earth was made was by these gods in a big fight, and all the gods fought, and they were, did everything you can imagine wrong. They they hated each other. They hated people. They did things against each other. They were, they were drunks. They were incestuous. I mean, if you can imagine it, they did it. And so there was this big galactic fight between Marduk and Tiamat. And Tiamat was a female and was cut in two. And the top of her body is, makes the sky. And then her, the bottom of her body makes the earth. And some say that that phrase, Mother Earth, may be the oldest phrase in any language because people would talk about Mother Earth. And so that was the thought that the Babylonians had, and that was the thought that the gods hate people, and the gods are trying to somehow make this world bad, and the gods have created you only to give you grief. 
And in the midst of all that, the true story of our God, known as Yahweh, was put down for for Moses, where Moses was to write about what this world is, and he starts out with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the word good describes creation seven times in Genesis chapter 1. You remember after each day, it was good. It was good. It was good. Over and over, it was good. Now, what's interesting is the first time it wasn't good was when he said it's not good for man to be alone. But before that, everything was good. And so you see a creation that wasn't something evil, but something that was positive, and that God loves people. One of the things that people were worshiping in those days were the sun and the moon. And God showed how great he was by not even referring to them by name. He calls them, you remember in Genesis 1, the greater light and the lesser light. And so in Genesis 1, God, the word that's used for God is just that generic word, God. And so you're hearing the story about God. God created this. God created that. It's good. It's good. And it sounds like a very positive thing, but you don't know who God is if you're Israel listening to that. It would be like if someone told you a story about, I'm a big baseball fan, so I'll tell you a story. There was a baseball player one time who averaged 400, and he stole 35 bases a year, and he hit 40 home runs a year. And you're going, wow, that's a really good baseball player. It's probably impossible, but that's a really good baseball player. And then they say, that player was your grandfather. And you'd say, my grandfather? You'd be so excited. Well, in Genesis 1, what you see is God, this God, has created the heavens and the earth, and he's done all these good things. And then in Genesis 2, you'll see in your Bibles, it says the Lord God, and you know the name of God because you've read the book of Genesis before. The name of God is Yahweh, or sometimes we say Jehovah. And that word Lord in capitals there, Lord God, means Yahweh. And so in chapter 2, they found out it wasn't just any God that created the heavens and the earth. It was their God that he created the heavens and the earth, and it was all good. And they realized God is so overwhelming. But the world religions are at odds with this God, Yahweh, because they have a different story that's not the story of what God was doing. It's different. So there are odds, there are differences between them. And then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus makes an exclusive claim. And you know that exclusive claim because it's our scripture tonight, John 14, 6 and 7. Jesus answered when people were wondering about him. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now here's this part. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. There is no way around that scripture. He first says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, and so maybe we could somehow massage that a little bit. But then he says, but no one comes to the Father. No one can get to God the Father except through me. He is claiming something overwhelmingly exclusive. You can like it, you can not like it, but it's the way it is. He is who he said he was. And I want you to understand tonight, Jesus is not part of the answer. 
And you might be going, well, wait a minute. I thought you were just telling us he's the way, the truth, and the life. Well, I did tell you that. He's not part of the answer. He's it or he's nothing. He is not just part of the answer. He is the whole answer. Years ago when we lived in Oklahoma City, I pretty much have only one thing on my radio dial. It's sports radio. I, and, and whenever they go to a commercial, I just flip over to another sports radio station. I do a lot of that. And then I'll throw in a country, old country music every once in a while. But there was this guy who was on the radio there, one of the broadcasters, commentators, wherever you call them. He had a show every day. He was local. Now he's on one of the national. He's not, he was on ESPN, but he's on Fox or CBS, one, one of the others today. And he was in Oklahoma with this local show, and Oklahoma is about as Christian in the general sense as you can get. And he was Jewish. And so he was kind of in, in a rough place for him as far as religiously when people would talk. And one day on the radio, he gave his, kind of gave his story of what he believes about religion. He said, I believe that religion is a salad. And he said, you know how it is with the salad? I put in a little bit of Christianity and a little bit of Judaism and a little bit of Islam and a little bit of Hinduism, and I just take the best out of all of them, and I make a tossed salad with that. Well, here's the problem. Jesus says, I am the whole salad, or I am nothing at all. You can take your salad with the others if you choose. Some of the others don't appreciate it either, understand that. But you can take it and put the other things in it. But Jesus says, you are not going to put me in there. Either I am, I am the appetizer, the main course, and the dessert, or I am nothing at all. I'm it. And it may be politically incorrect to say it. It may be politically incorrect to believe it. But if he was willing to take nails for that, and, willing to be resur- and God was willing to resurrect him from the grave, then I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to stand with him because that's who he is. Now, C.S. Lewis, some of you have probably read. Some of you might not have even known he was a religious writer because you were reading his kids' books way back when and the Narnia Chronicles, which are actually very religious. <coughs> Excuse me. But he said... Many, you know what I don't like are long quotes, and I have two long quotes for you tonight. Sorry about that. C.S. Lewis wrote, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Well, that is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Oh, I didn't skip. Sorry, you get to read that now. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. 
He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Either he is who he said he is, or he is a nut. Don't say, we're just going to throw him in with it. He says, you can't do that. He is either it, or he's nothing. And there are a lot of us who are Christians who are satisfied somehow to just, follow, to just kind of go along with the crowd. Jesus said, I don't want you to go along with the crowd. You're no better going along with the crowd and calling me Jesus than you are by denying me altogether. He says, I want you to be serious about who I am. I am the Son of God. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the light. I am the door. I'm it. He says it over and over and over. And how could we ever miss it? But sometimes our faith, it is so easy that sometimes we do miss it. Jesus is exclusive in our relationship. He wants us to be exclusive with him, and then he's exclusive with us. And you say, well, what do you mean by all this? Well, we are his bride. Church, you know, the church is the bride of Christ, right? We make up the church. We are the bride of Christ. Way back when I was a kid, I remember the first time I ever went to church camp. I was nine years old. I was sent off all by myself. I was scared to death. And the topic that summer, it's funny, out of all the years I was in high school, I went to church camp and loved it. It was, the, it was the best thing I'd ever done that week at church camp. I don't remember any of the themes. But that first year, when I was confused, I remember. It was that God is a jealous God. And I could not figure out what that was, especially for nine-year-olds. Because I knew jealousy was a bad thing. And I knew God didn't sin, so what does this mean that God is a jealous God? I thought, what, what is this? And I, I stayed confused all week and went home with lots of, lots of crafts, and that was pretty much it. I was lost. You know, you make all those little beads that are so cool at camp, and then you look kind of odd when you wear them later, you know, sometimes. That was me. Well, whenever I stood there in Mito, Japan, actually in Tokyo, Japan is where the wedding had to be, I committed to my wife for a lifetime. And when she looked at me, she was crazy. But when she looked at me, she committed to me for a lifetime. You know, I didn't say, Barbara, I'm committing my life to you. Sunday through Saturday afternoon, you have me. But Saturday night, I may be looking around. I did not say that. She didn't say, David, I tell you what, I want to give you 10 years and then I'm going to start looking around. She didn't say that. Do you know what we said? Till death do us part. That it would be an exclusive relationship. And if some man started talking to my wife too much, I would be right over there right now talking to that guy. She's not here, don't worry. I wonder where she is. Oh, she's at church in Houston. <laughs> Maybe we ought to call her and find out. But if someone were spending too much time with my wife, I would get involved in that. I'm jealous over that. That's good jealousy to have. Just today, before I left, I was in a Bible study with a guy that I kind of helped try to mentor. He's a young dad, new little baby, about six months old. And I was trying to use an illustration. And I said, 
You know, just imagine if, if when your daughter's 12 years old and someone kidnapped her and he started crying right there. And I said, no, I just, I didn't mean to say, I didn't mean to make you upset. That wasn't what I was trying to do. But I want you to understand what it's like with our children. If you saw someone walking through the parking lot tonight holding your child by the hand and they were walking out to the car and you didn't know that person, you think you might be a little bit jealous? Do you know why you'd be jealous? You have an exclusive relationship with your child. No one is going to come take your child. It is you. You are their mother. You're their father. You're their grandparent. You love your child. You see, that's what Jesus is saying when he says the relationship is exclusive and why he wants to be exclusive with us, because it is a relationship with us. He says, don't you be looking around because I'm not looking around. That we are devoted to each other. God is unique from all other religious beings or or godly type beings because he lives in relationship. You say, well, what do you mean he lives in relationship? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They live together as one. They are one. They are separate, and yet they are one. God understands relationship and lives by it and talks about it and wants it more than any other type of being that's ever been written about or created or invented. And you remember all the way back in the garden, God wanted relationship there. Do you remember that? Remember what the Bible says that in the cool of the evening, God would go and talk to Adam and Eve. Do you remember that verse? And you're, this is a very serious moment, but at the same time, I find it very humorous that God would go to the garden, and God knew what Adam and Eve had done, but he said, hey, Adam and Eve, what are you doing? They said, "Uh, we're hiding. Well, why are you hiding? Well, we're naked. And then that really good question, just like you would say to a three-year-old, who told you you were naked? Can't you imagine Adam and Eve going, uh, for a minute? (laughs) You remember that? But do you remember why God was there? Because God wanted a relationship. God wanted to be with Adam and Eve. God desires that kind of thing. And he wants us. He wants to have it with us. He wants there to be... We got so afraid of other people talking about God wants a relationship with you that we quit talking about it. But the fact is, God wants a relationship with you. The fact is, God wants to be with you so much that he allowed his son Jesus to die. Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to die. That's how much he wants it. And how dare us discount it like it's not important. He wants us. And he wants us to have it with each other. That's why we come together. That's why you're here. It's why you've started small groups. It's why you come on Sunday morning. It's what Bible classes are for. It's the reason that you get together during the week when there's nothing official going on, when you just stop by the house or you send each other your email addresses, whatever it is. Because each individual is benefited in relationship. Everybody should be benefited when there is a healthy relationship going on. And Jesus says, I want you to be with me. I'm benefited, I'm glorified by that. But you're also benefited by it because you're with me. Now, when I was a kid, there was a verse that we always used to talk about in Hebrews or passage, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. You might know this passage about not forsaking the assembly. What this meant to me growing up was, you go to church or you're in big trouble. That's the way I understood it. 
But the Hebrew writer said, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, you know what this whole passage is about? He's saying, you need each other. You need friends. You need relationships. Some of us need them more than others do, but we need them. And if you're a person who says, I don't need relationships, then get over yourself and realize other people do, and you can be a friend to them. Don't just think, I don't need them. Think about, well, Jesus didn't need to die for himself. He died for us. So help other people. He says, don't give up meeting together. I saw on your your list of speakers that you had Jim Baird come a little earlier, and I love Jim Baird. And I remember one time taking this little short course with with, uh, Jim that he did for preachers when I was in Oklahoma City. And you know him well enough to know he's gone to Oxford. He's a really smart man, and and he's also a little bit rebellious, kind kind of in a funny way. But I remember he stood in front of us and said, well, I didn't want to believe it, but this is the theme of Hebrews. Go to church. That's the theme. He said, I didn't want that to be the theme, but that is the theme. Because he said, there were people in those days who were denying Christ. They would say, well, I'm going to believe in Jesus, but I'm so afraid to go to church because someone might think something. I'm just going to go to the synagogue. Everybody will think I don't believe in Jesus, and I'll just pray to him in my head. Nobody will ever know, but still I'll be kind of faithful to him, right? And he says, but what the Hebrew writer is saying, no. You need to be there to encourage other people. So I was telling you at Memorial, we have about 900 on Sunday morning, and if next Sunday we had 700, we'd look around and say, boy, a lot of people are out of town. I guess it's that last little run before vacation, before school starts. And so then the next Sunday, school starts, and we have 500. Well, we'd say, where is everybody? And the next Sunday, we have 150. We'd be going, what's going on? And the next Sunday, I don't know what would happen because they wouldn't let me preach anymore. Just showing up, you are encouraging people. Now, let me say this. We want you to get out there and work and be involved in ministries, without a doubt. But just your body being in a pew or on a chair helps other people because we look around and we say, wow, look, there are people there. There are a lot of people there. This is good. But when it's empty, we look around and we say, well, maybe this isn't important anymore. Maybe people don't love Jesus anymore. Maybe there's something going on at that church. Maybe there's a problem. Maybe I shouldn't go there anymore. So you are needed just for that, that God lives in relationship and wants us to have relationship. But I also want you to see that no other religion claims resurrection. That there is only one who gave his life. There was only one who was executed. And there was only one to be raised. And that's the one I want to follow. I want to follow Jesus. Because he was raised. He died and he was raised. He gave his life not for his own sins, but for our sins. Now here's your other long quote from Ravi Zacharias. Some of you have probably read some of Ravi Zacharias' stuff. But I want you to see this, what he says. It was Jesus' resurrection that changed the lives of the disciples. After Jesus was crucified, the disciples ran and hid. But when they saw the risen Lord, they knew that all Jesus had said and done proved that he was indeed God in flesh. 
No other religious leader has died in full view of trained executioners, had a guarded tomb, and then rose three days later to appear to many people. The resurrection is proof of who Jesus is and that he did accomplish what he set out to do, to provide the only means of redemption for mankind. Buddha did not rise from the dead. Muhammad did not rise from the dead. Confucius did not rise from the dead. Krishna did not rise from the dead. Only Jesus has physically risen from the dead, walked on water, and then raised others, and claimed to be God and raised others from the dead. He has conquered death. Only in Christianity do we have the person of Christ who claimed to be God, performed many miracles to prove his claim of divinity, died and rose from the dead, and claimed that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. He is the only one that claims that. And he says, it's either me or it's no one. Either you follow me, either you worship me, or don't worship anybody at all. Don't put me in with the others. Just as you would say to your husband or wife, don't, me, don't put me in with all the men or all the women that you love. It's me or it's no one. That's his exclusive claim. Now, through resurrection, we have eternal life. We have eternal life. This, this afternoon, whenever I was driving over here, I was listening to the radio, kind of going from place to place listening. And I heard this country song by Luke Bryan that some of you probably know. And I don't know anything about Luke Bryan's faith, but he sometimes sings about it. But he has a line that's really good about wanting to go. This is paraphrasing it. Wanting to go with that, to that place where the streets are paved with gold. And then he says, but honestly, I'd be happy to go there even if the streets were dirt. <laughs> Let me tell you, when I was a little boy... And we talked about heaven. I remember we would talk about all the different jewels that were there. And we'd talk about, we'd talk about the, the, the jasper, which always confused me what that was. But we'd talk about the streets of gold and about all the different, the rubies and all the different stones and sapphires and all those emeralds and different things. And all that was hard for me to understand. But if I get to heaven and Jesus is sitting on a, on a throne with the biggest diamonds we've ever seen, I'm going to be thrilled. But if Jesus is standing next to a trash can, I still want to be there. I am not driven, and I hope you're not, by the jewels that heaven is described by. I am driven by the fact that Jesus Christ is there. And that's where I want to be. I, shared the, I don't think I shared this story here. I shared it not too long ago in another congregation. But years ago, when I was at, in Oklahoma City, we were looking for a vehicle. This is probably 20 years ago. We were looking for a vehicle, knew exactly what we wanted. We were trying to find this minivan at the time, and uh, we had two little girls. 
And we stopped at this one place. We had looked all day, and I stayed in the car with the girls who were sleeping, and my wife ran into the dealership and said, do you have this minivan? It was a used minivan. And they said yes, and she comes out the car, come, come on in, we have it. So I wake up the girls. I, I like to say, well, I'm taking care of the girls. Really, I'm just too tired to walk. And so we go in, and we have a guy who's our salesman, never obviously met him. He has a bit of an accent. And I try to always bring up Jesus where I, wherever I am, church or Jesus, somehow to try to get a religious conversation going. And so I said to him, because of his accent, I said, now, I can tell you have an accent. Where are you from? He said, I'm from Russia. I said, Russia, wow, that's great. And here we are in a car at a car dealer, and I'm thinking, well, how can I talk about Christ? And, and here are cars. Well, I remembered when we were missionaries in Brazil that there was a Russian car that was pretty common called a Lada. And so I said, well, did you ever drive a Lada? He goes, where have you heard of that? He said, man, that's a terrible car. And if you know... <laughs> If you know, if you can remember Yugos, they made Yugos look like Cadillacs. I mean, they were rough cars. And I told him, well, we were missionaries in Brazil and on and on. And he said, oh, he said, you know, uh, he said, I'm Christian. I said, really? He said, yes, I came here to Oklahoma to go to Oklahoma Christian University. I said, you did? He said, yes. I said, well, actually, I adjunct there. I said, that's incredible. And he, he had not been there in my time. I said, that's incredible. And I said, so, and I thought, is he telling me the truth? He's probably just found my history somewhere. You know how they are. But he started naming names of famous preachers, and he had been to their houses, and he knew them. And I'm like, wow. He said, I was a member of the first legally recognized Church of Christ in, in Russia. I'm going, Really? This is an incredible story. He told how they would take their Bible in sacks to, to worship, and they'd meet in someone's apartment, and they would whisper. And then they would say, okay, next week we're meeting at so-and-so place, such-and-such place. And so they would go that place the next week, and then to the next and the next. He said, I wasn't in the Communist Party, but I worked for the party. And I'm just amazed by the story, and it's just overwhelming. And I said, well, where do you go to church now? He said, oh, I don't go anywhere. He said, you see, in Russia, it was really hard to go, and that made me want to go. But he said, here in the United States, it's so easy. Everybody's a Christian. It's so easy. I just don't go. Well, we bought the van that night, and I told him, I'm bringing it back Monday morning if you're not at church with me on Sunday. <laughs> I can tell you he did come that Sunday. But the thing that bothered me, I don't know what happened to him is that sometimes it has become so easy and we have become so politically correct and I want to be politically correct as often as I can. But when it comes to Jesus, there is no place to be politically correct. That doesn't give us a reason to be rude. doesn't give us a reason to run people off. But I cannot deny my Jesus. This church will not be here if it denies Jesus. Christians will not be in San Antonio if they deny Jesus. Christians won't be in Houston or the United States or wherever you want to talk about if we deny Jesus. We will not be with Jesus eternally if we deny Jesus. We must stand up and say, I believe and follow Jesus Christ.
That is the message that this world needs. And we all sit around, we're so sad when we read the statistics about what's happening to faith in the United States or what it looks like. You know why it's happening? Because we quit talking. And my guess is, some of us who have cars that keep driving here might have quit believing. It is time to believe and stand up for Jesus Christ. Amen? Good words.